Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I am your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Matt Merker. Matt Merker is currently Director of Creative Resources and Training for Getty Music. Previously, he served on the pastoral staff and as an elder of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Matt has written several beloved hymns for the church, including He Will Hold Me Fast. His new book on corporate worship is due to be released in February of 2021. In this clip, taken from the 2018 Doxology and Theology Conference, Matt Merker discusses the role of a songwriter within a local congregation. Every congregation is different. We live in an era of cultural fracturing on the one hand. There's all these different little musical subcultures. Gone are the days when there's one main artist and everyone buys the Michael Jackson record because that's what everyone listens to. These are the days when there's all these different indie artists and little stations and and subcultures. So there's fracturing on, on the one hand, but there's also a lot of cultural synergy and overlap on the other hand, where I think people are much more omnivorous in their musical tastes uh, than, than before. So it's, I think, more common today than, say, 20 years ago for someone to be a, a fan of, of country music and hip-hop. We have all, all these different little musical styles. A lot of us have all of them in our earbuds all, all the time. All that to say is I believe that wherever you are, the different types of churches that we're in, whether that's different by, by region, uh, by the sorts of generations you have in your church, the sorts of cultural groups uh, and eth- ethnic backgrounds you have in your church, the, the person who knows best how your church sings is you. Um, and there's lots of music you can find on, on the mass market, uh, the, the Christian mass market that you can use, but there's something to be said for indigenous composition within the congregation. I'm not saying every church needs to have a songwriter or needs to have songs written by someone from that church. But if a church does have someone who can write songs, particularly for that church, I think that's a worthy goal of saying, what what is the way that our church sings? And can we write songs that fit that expression? Which leads me to number two, finding your congregation's voice. If if this is something that we're, we're hoping to do, aiming to do, I want to commend us in this session on the ministry of songwriting for the local church. Uh, for those of you who are, who are just here with Sandra McCracken, we heard a great session on, on her approach to, to songwriting. And there was some Q&A and discussion about writing for personal expression versus writing corporately. And both are good, both are valuable. So if you write songs that are just for yourself, just to use in your own devotional time with the Lord, that's great. If you write other songs that you share with people, whether it's at a coffee house, singer-songwriter kind of events, or you're putting it up on, on, on the internet, that's great too. But here, I want us to be thinking about a particular discipline of writing for the church. So an analogy, when I prepare a sermon, I use two books. I use my Bible, and I use my church membership directory. 
That is my second most important book. And as I'm studying a text, I am looking through these faces. We have little kind of thumbnail uh, photos in there. I'm looking through these names and I'm asking myself, what are my flock? What are they struggling with? What are their sorrows and their hopes and their fears and their joys? Uh, I'm taking the truth of the text that's, that I'm interpreting and then I'm seeking to apply it, not just to sort of generic vacuum of Christians, but to you know, Bob and Bill and Maxine. And I think for songwriting, we can approach it the same way. In one sense, we're writing to the church. We want to write a song that will minister to and bless and encourage our people. And we're also writing for the church. We are literally putting something in their mouths. Um, so when it comes to the musical side of writing, I think we need to discern what is in my congregation's mouth. What, what's my congregation's voice? Uh, a few ways we could go about this become a music analyst, you know, analyze the top 20 songs that you think your church sings best and sort of put on your music theory hat and ask yourself what musical traits and characteristics do the melodies have in common? And not making a value judgment about what types of songs are better or worse, but just what, what songs does my church tend to sing well? Or you can become a musicologist, you know, conduct field interviews, uh, get among the people. A shepherd should smell like the sheep. So get among the sheep and ask folks, what songs do we sing that are your favorites and why? Uh, trying to separate out the words. That can be hard to do because the words are so tied up with a song. But if you're just humming it, if you're just singing the melody, la, 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 what melodies capture your heart? Or are there some of our songs that you find difficult to sing or that you found difficult to initially learn and why? Take notes on that. See if your answers differ depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to folks in the older generation, if you're talking to folks who may make up an ethnic minority in your church, you might get some interesting data points on that. Then that might shape how, how we write. For, for me, I'm, when I'm writing a song for my congregation, I'm trying to think through, are the folks in their 70s and 80s going to be able to sort of own this melody? Or are they perpetually going to be sort of feeling like they're in a foreign country? Uh, what our, my church has a significant portion of folks who are African-American or Asian-American. I'm not necessarily trying to imitate sort of stock musical styles from a particular cultural group, but I'm just asking myself, okay, is, is the song I'm writing going to be something that lots of different people can at least jump on board with? Or am I limiting it in some way? So I'm, I'm always trying to ask those questions. So that's finding your congregation's voice. With that, as I was thinking through our, our time, I, I wanted to force myself to identify some traits that I think makes a melody singable or, or, or makes it congregational. Again, a lot of this is going to be in the ear of the beholder. Uh, so feel free to push back or disagree or, or, or modify these for, for your own setting. But I came up with four things in terms of a goal to shoot for. These are abstract words. And then in the fourth section, I'm going to try to tease these out in more technical sort of concrete language, but it just has abstract goals. Number one, a, a singable congregational tune I think is intuitive by which I mean the melody is neither so predictable that it's boring nor so complex that it's baffling. It can be learned after being heard just a few times but singable doesn't just mean easy to learn. It means you actually want to keep singing it. So I'm not just talking about, you know, happy birthday level of simplicity. I'm talking about a song that you can sing and you also want to sing that, that's intuitive to the voice and to the heart. That's the first thing. Second thing uh, is that a, a singable tune is natural. 
It suits all the voices in your congregation in terms of its range. So what notes does it include? And how often are the really high notes and the really low notes being sung? Because that can be fatiguing. And the other aspect of being natural is that the phrasing allows you to breathe. Some songs, there's so many notes run together that it can be hard to grab a breath. Or the phrases are so slow uh, that you have to breathe in the middle of a phrase in in order to, to make it through to the end. So that's what I mean by natural. Third, it's complementary to the lyrics. And again, two aspects of this. First, this means that the, the tone and mood of the melody matches the mood and the meaning of the text. So if the lyric is a lament or a confession or longing for Christ's return, the, the melody needs to convey that in some way. There needs to be a, a match there conceptually. But the second aspect of, of complementary is that the tune should fit the phrasing and the meter and accent of the poetry as well. I'll say, you know, from time to time, folks will, will, will give me a song, send me a song they've written, ask for feedback, which I love to do. Um, and I would say one of the, the more common pieces of feedback I give is great, great lyric, great melody. I'm not sure they always match. I'm not sure that the accented syllable in the melody, in the lyric, sorry, is where your accent is musically. And when you're really familiar with the text and when you've written the tune, you can sort of get away with that, with it being off the accent a little bit. But when someone's, it makes it harder to learn for the first time is all I'm saying. So that's just something uh, to think through. Another way to convey that is, one way to convey it is by putting the accented syllable of the poetry on the first beat of the measure. Or it's like if it's a 4-4 bar, putting it on beat one or beat three. Or just on the beat instead of off the beat. But another way, which, which we do all the time, is just by having the accented syllable be a longer note. You know, so it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So the, the fact that that note is held matches up with the fact that it's, it's the accented syllable in the, in the poetic meter. So that's complementary to the lyrics. Fourth, affective. Yes, with the letter A, uh, meaning it moves the emotions, the affects. Uh, A singable song should stir the heart. It shouldn't just obey the rules of music theory. So this is subjective uh, for sure, but I I do think it's a good goal to to shoot for. Uh, A singable tune is one that's going to move the hearts of our people because that's what makes a song get stuck in your memory. Uh, And I think that's what we're shooting for as, as the ideal of a song. Um, here's how Calvin put it in his preface to the Genevan Psalter when they developed a bunch of new hymn tunes in Geneva for congregational use. I, I, I think this is fascinating the way he talks about it. He says, touching the melody, it has seemed best that it be moderated in the manner which we have adopted to carry gravity and majesty appropriate to the subject and even to be suitable for singing in the church. So by moderated, he means that the melodies were really simplified from the complexity of the other stuff that was going at the time. You had a lot of polyphonic things happening, different musical lines and different words kind of overlapping, not singing the same syllable at the same time. Um, and if you know some of, some of the tunes from the Genevan Psalter, like the doxology, da, 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 the very sort of, elegant mix of quarter notes and half notes that you find in a tune like that. That's pretty typical of, of the sort of tunes that they did. And there's a sort of, there's a simplicity to it. There's, there's not much to it, and yet it sings well. So I think that's a, that tune's a good example of, of what he's trying to describe there. 
So he, he wasn't aiming at boring or dull. He did want the melodies to be stirring, affective. But there's another quote. He also said, there's a great difference between the music which one makes to entertain people at table and in their homes and the psalms, which are sung in the church in the presence of God and his angels. So leaving the whole question of exclusive psalm singing aside, what, what, what's interesting to me about that is that he saw a benefit to having congregational songs be simpler in their form than performed music. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You, you can take it to an extreme, you can take it too far. But I think he understood that the church's gathering is a unique opportunity and privilege for the people of God. And we are singing not just to God, but Ephesians 5, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which means the type of music, and he identified this 500 years ago, is different than when you sit passively to listen to something and be entertained. Notice he's not against that. You wanna entertain people at, at table? Have them over and, and, and have a, a, you know, a musical performance? Wonderful, and that can be glorifying to God in its own way, but the sort of music and singing that we do in church is different because of the corporate nature. That's not to say that it's dumbed down or or that in, in some way the musical integrity is lacking. It's just a different type of expression. It is a congregational expression. a hard place to stop, but if you would like to hear the rest of this message from Matt Merker entitled, Writing Melodies for Congregational Worship, go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click podcast, click around to find the show notes for season one, episode eight, and we're happy to share with you the entire thing for free. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology Podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Mark Norris and Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.